Welcome to CCC Talks, empowering IT and business professionals in their digital transformation journey. Find all the latest tips, tricks, and strategies at our blog and resource center at cloudcredential.org. And now our host, CCC Managing Director, Mark O'Loughlin. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of CCC Talks with Mark O'Loughlin and the Cloud Credential Council. Now, today, we're joined by Daniel Fagella, who's the founder and head of research at eMERGE. And Dan, thank you very much for joining us on today's podcast. Glad to be here, Mark. Thanks so much. <laughs> the Daniel company eMERGE is focused on research in the field of artificial intelligence, uh, AI. So maybe t uh, tell us a little bit about what you do and what eMERGE is all about. Sure, yeah, I'll give you the very fast version here. So our work focuses on really the ROI of AI in major sectors. So sure. we track the startup ecosystem, we track yep. the known enterprise use cases, and we categorize what AI is enabling within those industries and sort of where we're seeing a return on investment. So we're sort of visual mappers of ROI for leaders of companies that uh, sort of don't want to allocate their funds without knowing the landscape first. I think that's a, I think that's a, it's a good proposition, especially the visualization of an ROI. I know it's not a new thing, but I think companies should do more of that uh, rather than just the pure numbers of it, maybe look at it from, I'm sure you're looking at it from different aspects. For sure, yeah. I mean, um, for some people, ease of deployment, for example, is a paramount import because they don't yeah. have that much internal data science talent, for example. For other yes. people, they really have an emphasis on building a particular capability, like let's say computer vision. They want to be able to identify yes. things with images if it's an e-commerce business or retail business. Um, and they might particularly want to screen for that. So criteria will vary, but I think companies that do it well sort of assess where they want to put funds. Companies that don't will just, you know, waste a little money on a pilot here, on a pilot there, and then they'll they'll learn the hard way that they should have some some strategy. So that's kind of where we fit in. Good, good. I've learned to like there's a hard way to do things and an easy way to do things. Find the people that can help you do the easy way, and they yeah, do exist. So I think what you're saying there is you're focused on the value from AI to an organization and trying to understand that before doing AI for the sake of doing it. Is that, is that what you're about? Yeah. So some companies have been honest with us um, <clears throat> about checking the AI box. In other words, oh, we did a pilot project because we, you know, our competitors did press releases about pilot projects and we wanted to do yes. one as well. Um, there's obviously a lot of danger there in terms of of wasting money. So um, yeah. most leaders, we work with a lot of heads of innovation, heads of strategy, they don't quite know what they don't know. So they don't know the totality of what they could invest in and sort of where is the yeah. low-hanging fruit. And a lot of the time for big orgs, they want wins. They want kind of relatively quick wins. Um, yes. With AI, that's not always easy, but uh, they have to see the landscape to do it. So um, yeah, better than, better than hurling money in some random directions or like you said, um, doing it for the sake of doing it. The AI saviors. Now, Dan, we're going to start with a um, really simple question. Very simple in terms. I'm going to ask you, what is artificial intelligence? Well, what is AI? Yeah. So you had said before we started recording here, Mark, that um, you'll get 10 different answers when you ask this 10 times. And I speak full time with AI researchers and heads of AI at big companies. I probably get different answers from them as well. So to some degree, even the folks that know the space are bickering a lot about um, sort of specifically where AI fits in compared to machine learning, et cetera. Broadly speaking, AI is 
uh, a computer doing something that otherwise people would do. This is the big umbrella of artificial intelligence that goes all the way to really complicated natural language generation stuff for, uh, you know, that kind of models a human in conversation, which were kind of borderline cutting edge, uh, big companies like Google, all the way down to relatively boring stuff like detecting fraud for a credit card company uh, or uh, potentially even more limited applications there. So big umbrella. It's a big umbrella. Big umbrella, and I think automating stuff with a computer that humans used to do. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, but as I said, industries have found, you know, as you said, even if, if it's just credit card fraud or insurance fraud, uh, that could have taken a lot of people hours to try and figure out where an AI system might do that quicker, faster, yep. or better. Yeah. Can I ask, um, again, in broad terms, why should we be excited about ai but from i'm going to ask you from two views one from the organization perspective and one from a consumer perspective why would we get excited yeah. um i think that um so from an organization perspective i think uh excitement can come from you know the potential to win in the market i think there's excitement there's fear there's a lot of motives for organizations it's just about being able to stay relevant so for particularly for very large companies um yeah who have R&D budgets, um, who are uh, kind of enterprise level, uh, the winners and losers of the next 10 years in a lot of spaces, heavy industry, financial services, et cetera, will have to involve some capabilities being unlocked in AI, some ability to kind of move fluently with these new capabilities as they emerge. So being excited about that means being excited about staying ahead of the market. Um, as a consumer, and, and ultimately, again, we're more on the business side for our work, but as a consumer, I think, we almost might see it as the next level of the next layer of convenience, like the internet was. You know, I, I uh, so I used to, I don't know, have to go to Blockbuster to rent a video, yeah. and now I have Netflix. Yeah. There's kind of an internet um, uh, sort of convenience level and kind of yeah. layer on top of any given service, whether it be food or entertainment or connecting with friends or what have you. Um, I think AI will be potentially another layer of that, certainly in consumer tech that's moving quickly. You know, Siri was out well before those kinds of applications were available B2B. And I think yeah. the consumer is actually going to be the fast moving area. But it's mostly, again, it's convenience um, for, for your average kind of person on the street. Absolutely. And uh, you said an interesting thing there with Blockbuster being the, the US DVD video rental store, which no longer exists. So I think I think we're seeing the likes of these digital technologies and AI helping organizations change their business model, the way they do business and how they do business, because it allows people to consume things differently as well. Um, so I think there's a great opportunity for organizations to do something new, but there's also the danger that if they don't do something new, that some some of their competitors might do that. So is that is that a challenge that they're facing? Yeah, it is, and and I think it's most relevant for the larger organizations. So mm. in a space like banking, um, where we do a lot of work, insurance, wealth management, yes, yes. it's kind of like global top 100 companies. So if you are a mid-sized random bank in the Midwest, you sort of don't have to direly stay ahead of AI because you don't have the budgets, you don't have the R and D, and the technology is so nascent it's going to be tough to get it off the ground with a lot of that, that R&D. But for the folks who yeah. are in the top 100, when JP Morgan and Wells Fargo and the other players um, start to get that edge in customer experience, start to get that edge in, in yeah. um, you know, how easily they can onboard people or, or how well they can calibrate their loans and lending, for example, if you're competing with yes. the biggest, um, then right now, essentially across sectors, um, it matters. You know, survivability-wise, people realize that and 
And that's a lot of the impetus to get started is actually less the excitement, more the nervousness to some degree. <laughs> the nervousness. And I think that goes back to your opening, you know, what you're saying about understanding the ROI and the value from AI. Not everybody is going to get value today. As you said, those Midwestern, sorry, the, the, the mid-state banks, yep. they could put a lot of money into it and see no return for years because they're not under threat from these other industries in other areas. Yeah, I mean, it's also just that AI is very hard. So to, to sort of do AI, quote unquote, this is, a very, uh, this is very choppy language to say do AI, but to essentially enable AI in the enterprise. That is to say, yes. we're going to train our own algorithms to achieve a unique goal. Um, if we want to do that, we need data scientists. We need a lot of data that's organized. We need the ability to fail because a lot of the time, even with great data and smart people, there may just be an application that doesn't work. As it turns out, this data doesn't correlate to fraud. Sorry, that was nine months and a lot of money. Like, okay, you know, not the end of the world, but that's the nature of AI. So the stomach for that kind of, of risk of, of non-ROI, um, the required budgets, data, and expertise just aren't at these companies. So it's it's not just that they don't compete directly with JP Morgan, that's part of it, um, but it's also like, they couldn't enable it. The technology will have to evolve and move down market to become more push button, at which point it won't really be doing AI. They'll essentially be leveraging data mostly trained on other people's information at that yes. point. And it'll kind of be software 2.0, right? That will sort of move into the next era. We're not there, uh, not right now. So the highest I competition is the big players. Yes, I think that's going to be a very interesting space when we're almost consuming somebody else's AI or the learning that they've created. Yeah. And now can yeah. you imagine if you're the leader in that industry, let's say banking, you've used AI, you've obviously got your return, but you now have this super AI knowledge or source that you can then sell or maybe spin off as a service to yeah. the banking industry. That to me is very interesting. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see where and if that will happen. So l yeah. I'll paint a picture for you of kind of how it could happen, but places where I actually don't think it'll happen. So you bring up a great point, and I think not enough people, frankly, are, are asking about how AI will evolve. We have to think about that a lot because companies we work with are planning, yes. you know, five, ten years out, or they at least want some vision there. So um, to your point, you know, you say, what is it like to use other people's data? Well, you use Netflix right now, I presume, sure. or you sure. use Facebook. and uh, I, I don't have a Netflix account, but people I know have Netflix. Um, and, uh, you know, that's essentially being trained off of Amazon as well. Um, Spotify, where I can listen to music. Um, these yeah. are systems that are trained on people like me. So if if I use Spotify and I listen to a lot of classical, but I also have like this random 90s dance like songs I like for some weird reason, because I was, <laughs> I don't know, I was 12 once and I listened to the radio back then. Um, they'll, they'll have folks who like me have maybe had similar tastes and they'll be able to suggest songs that I would also like. So that's training on someone else's data. What you're talking about, I think would be a bank who really masters anti-money laundering and then says, Hmm, I wonder if other banks would pay us a ton of money to make sure nobody uses their bank as a terrorist route for money. Um, yes. maybe we can sell this. So that may happen. Um, we are right now, for the most part, seeing vendors serve that role. So vendors working with bank X, Y, Z, you know, whatever, and then yep. they're taking the data from all of them, and their goal is to now have a from scratch kind of pull the cord, and we can automatically rip that up to speed. So yeah. we're seeing more the vendor ecosystem take that role, but some big companies may do it themselves too. 
Um, I think a lot of companies are worried about giving up their crown jewels like that. But uh, but the vendors are trying to work at it. They're trying to basically what you're seeing today over the course of the next five years, this will be obvious. But what, but people don't realize what you're seeing today is vendors are trying to drink as much data from the top 100 as they can so that they can yeah. service the entire mid-market more or less push button not entirely but more or less push button and really own that market so uh that's happening across sectors for sure and i think that'll be key as you said more or less push button it's like where software as a service has got today yes isn't complex to consume now behind the scenes to make it work it's a little easier with apis and the software as a service players integrating a bit more but they still want to keep a level of separation but i think that'll be that'll be interesting it sounds to me like there's a bit of an ai gold rush happening at the moment would that be a good phrase very i mean there that's uh that is not hyperbolic to say you would be you would be on point to say that there's a bit of an ai gold rush um are we going to see it cool off i think that that's really the big question because a gold rush kind of indicates a hype bubble that is bound to burst. Um, and I think it's being debated as to where that is in AI. Uh, I, I do think that the expectations were bloviated in a great number of sectors, um, but I also think the traction is reasonably strong in enough of those where we're not gonna see a real AI winter again in the same gargantuan sense that maybe happened in like the, the 80s or so. Um, but yeah, yeah you're safe to say it. The venture capitalists, the startups, everybody's an AI company now. I mean. There's a certain amount of the hype that is uh, beyond reason. Good, I see. Okay, um, I'm sure there's a lot of challenges to organizations in, in adopting AI. Would you have a few things to do and consider and a few don'ts for, for organizations who are thinking about this? Yeah, um, we, we put together a piece recently called some, something like a composite of 50 different interviews called uh, the prerequisites to AI adoption, what we refer to as critical capabilities. Um, and there's a number of factors here. But if we think about big ones, um, one of them is just skills. So uh, that's not only data science skill, so having data yes. scientists, that's also understanding how data scientists and subject matter experts need to work together to enable AI. Because as it yeah. turns out, you can buy 15 Carnegie Mellon AI PhDs, um, which is very hard to do, by the way, but it, you know <laughs> Google can do it, but you could buy 15 of them, you know, set up their own little office with a cereal bar and a water slide and all that stuff. And that doesn't get anything done. You actually yeah. need the subject matter experts and you yeah. need IT on both sides to be connective tissue and to work with those folks and, and understand the same lingo, understand problem sets in a similar way, have access to the data they need. So yeah. um, how teams work together and data science skills, that's the skill side. Um, another aspect of this is culture. Um, so as I've mentioned before, doing AI in the enterprise today. Again, five years from now, we'll see this ease off. But right now, it is doing science. It's yes. testing a hypothesis, spending time collecting the raw data, developing what we think the right features of that data should be, training an algorithm over the course of many, many months, cleaning data over many, many months before that. And then we don't know if it's going to work. And if it does, it'll never be 100%, right? It might be 90-something percent. And is that going to be enough to save us money? So that kind of um, the kind of R&D stomach you need to have, the kind of risk stomach you need to have to deal with that is hard for most companies. And, and there's some bigger firms, again, like I said, top 100 players, where um, they, they do have to now develop that kind of survival-wise. They realize that that innovation focus kind of isn't, man, isn't optional anymore. Um, and uh, so that's another barrier. There's, there's others too, but those are two really big important ones. 
Great. I think that's the key phrase you said. Innovation is not optional anymore. We have to innovate. I, in, in my experience, I think organizations, we've forgotten what it is to innovate truly. Um, you know, and I think uh, these new technologies and what they can achieve allow us to refocus on what that is, not on the technology itself, but on what the potential of the technology might be. But as you said, I think, um, you know, some of the risks are you have to take a risk. You have to be preferred, pre prepared to yeah. not get something right. You have to, everybody's talking about agile fail, fail fast, but you do have to accept that we could put a lot of money into this and not get the result that we want. But as I say, Edison didn't figure out the light bulb in his first go or first hundred goals or first, yeah. you know, but he had to have been funded somehow to keep going where he would have stopped. So we have to think about that intelligently and fail in the right times and learn from it. I always say it's not failure if we learn from it, but it's a mistake if we don't. Big you time, know? yeah. Can't uh, can't disagree with you there. And I think that um, the people you're seeing doing the Edison thing, as you well articulated, great analogy, are yeah. really like the top five, top 10 businesses yeah. in these major yeah. sectors. Often yeah. it's, it's in, in all truth, I mean, even in financial services, it could be argued in some sectors it's like the top three that really have like the let's throw money at it, right? Like the, the like, they're like gung-ho. Um, a lot of the, you know, number 45 on the global top 100 banks, for example, they often really want to know the existing precedence of what has had ROI for the bigger players, right? And for the yes. folks above them, because they can stomach a bit of this, but they actually don't have the unlimited pocket. So to your yes. point, we want to fail and fail fast, but we also want to be able to pick those spaces where we have a chance to win. Um, and and businesses below the top five, let's say, sort of do do require um, yeah. some information about that because it's tough to lose too many times when you're you're not the the biggest in town. Dan, I, I love that. We've got to fail and fail fast, but we've also got to pick the place to win. Yeah, yeah. You I, want to give yourself that. stack your odds, right? Stack your odds <laughs> in terms of how easy it'll be to deploy and and to basically prove to management, like, hey, see, I told you this wouldn't be a waste of time because no no head of innovation or strategy wants to say, well, I told you we could fail and we did, but I'd like more money, right? It's much easier when you can say, look at this little win I got for you. Now imagine if you gave me five times as much, right? right. That's what uh, yeah, our yeah. our sort of client folks would be excited yeah. to to hear. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, Dan, you use a phrase, I've heard it a few times, um, creative disruption. Now, tell us, what does creative disruption mean in regards to this world of AI and how, and then how is AI driving creative disruption? Yeah, um, so I think this is really, in some ways, this is not all that unlike any other business. Creative disruption, I think we could say, you know, automobiles. Uh, the internet, you know, we talked about Blockbuster a minute ago. We could talk about Kodak, you know, these famous yeah. examples of people who were destroyed on the process of the next wave coming about. Um, I think we'll see the same in AI. So the problem with AI, it's the opportunity as well, um, mm. is that we don't know exactly what these new norms will be. So yes. what will be the new norms of how you interact with a call center? What will be the new norms for how you get financial updates on your investment accounts or you know, your savings accounts or checking or what have you. Um, what will be the new norms for how we shop? Some of these things are being felt out by the big tech players, but, yes. but some of them are going to settle somewhere. And as it turns out, there may be firms that just cannot get the infrastructure right to handle um, conversational interfaces, for example, or to handle mm -hmm. voice very well. 
and it may yeah. have a tangible crushing impact on their ability to service customers, retain customers, et cetera. <laughs> and so sort of like, again, internet blockbuster, there will be some of these facets of AI that will be so critical to industries that some folks will win and, and some just uh, just won't. They'll just get gobbled up and that'll be that. Um, yeah. So similar analogy. Yeah, I wonder these days, are these chatbots that we see replacing call centers, are, are they going to disrupt in any way or are they just more of an annoyance to some people because they seem to do no more than a list that people could have gone through in the past? They, they, they don't. So uh, right now, um, chatbots are, so we, we have a very robust landscape of banking is our numero uno sector. And I'll just speak from the perspective yeah, of banking. Yeah. In banking, sure, sure. there are... Um, there, it, it, chatbots and conversational interfaces in terms of press releases from the top banks is like yes. three times bigger than any other category of AI capability in terms of what banks say they are doing. But when it, when it comes to investment, there are oodles of business functions like compliance, like fraud, like cybersecurity that are getting astronomically more money. And it's because there's actual results there. The conversational interface stuff looks great to your uh, customers to seem like you're hip. It looks great to your investors to see like your hip, but at the end of the day, um, it really it really isn't garnering that much of a of an ROI uh, in most yeah. sectors. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a conversational interface pessimist, um, but I, I am a realist in that it's a bounded technology, and if it isn't treated as a technology that can handle some low hanging fruit and otherwise should be routing people to a human or a resource instead of trying to talk when it is running out of what the hell to say. Um, yeah. If we're promising that that continuance, that real conversation, I think we're over-promising in 99% of instances today. So banking yeah. is one of these, the data basically screams hype. You just look at where the money's going, you look at what people are talking about, and it's so obvious where the, the hype bubble is. Again, I'm not a total yeah. pessimist, there's some good vendors there, but yes, uh, yes. yeah, chatbots today, I, not great. I, I think there's a way to go with them. Um, again, some of the experience I've seen with chatbots, again, they have their place, but they're, they're positioned in such a way to eliminate the person at the back rather than, as you said, to still route to a person at the back when that opportunity comes across. So when you need to speak to somebody and move away from the chatbot, that there is somebody there, a human, yeah. to actually go talk with. So I think what we're in danger of is using some of this technology to replace the human at the end of it rather than to facilitate some of the interaction but still have people at the end of the, the chain, so to speak. It leads me into this. I, I talk a lot about this subject on the humanity of IT, the, the human, the person aspect of it. And I guess so, sometimes I, I ask, you know, are we losing the personal connection with people and customers by automating more? And the question I'd have, Dan, maybe you could help it is, you know, how does this AI affect our personal connection with customers? Yeah, as a business? As, as a business, start with, yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think this, this could very much go both ways. Um, on the one hand, you know, not because not I'm a bad guy, uh, but because when AI gets there, um, people will lay off call center people because yeah. the world, because real, actual the world, because the state of nature is so angry and mean. And if you don't and your competitors do and you spend more money than they do, you will lose. And so yeah. at some point, there will be sloughing when it makes business sense. Yes, and when yes. new companies grow, when new companies grow, they will grow without 
the the employee bulk. Now, I'm not a fan of that, and I think that you know uh, it's necessary. I'm not saying um, we should re uh, res resist all of it. There might be yes. regulatory needs for these kinds of things, but I I don't think that um, if you are the CFO, uh, if the choice is keep losing money until you lay everybody off, and we yeah. all find a new job. Or we got to slim this department down because, by golly, all of our competitors are reducing their costs. Those are yes. those are real adult conversations, and I think we are not really seeing those crash into you know financial services retail today uh, for AI specifically. But I think we will. Um, when it comes to customers, I think that this could potentially go both ways. It seems pretty obvious that if AI stretches us away from our customers, um, yeah. it feels very hard to win doing that. It feels very, very hard to win. So there's there's some examples like an Apple, for example, where um, getting in touch with customer service is like impossible, but the product is really good and like so people put up with it. But I think for yeah. the most part, um, AI will be about learning from all of our conversational interface interactions, all of our phone calls, and being able to better understand MetaTrends. It'll be about looking at our interactions on our website and better being able to service our customers. Um, it's, it's almost impossible to see a writ large wave of customer neglect, customer distance, plus business winning at the same time. That they yes. seem essentially diametrically opposed. So yes. AI for companies who win will almost always, in some way, connect them to the preferences, the needs, um, of the people who who pay them the dollars, um, so I'm not too worried about uh, us being dis disjointed uh, inherently by AI in that way. Yeah, I like that that it should connect us to our needs and wants and desires and whatever that is. Uh, that's the intelligent way I think of aggregating AI and and data and things like that. Well, we'll see. I mean, we had manufacturing, you know, throughout the industrial age as well, the revolution, and then the industrial age, um, and we've seen people replaced by machines. I think we're at the next stage now where we're seeing some of the service economy being replaced by software, AI, driven by big data, yeah. facilitated by cloud. But like that, when there was this displacement from the mechanical era, the machine era, new jobs came up, new things came up. We That's went the into That's the hope, yeah. So hopefully we, we hopefully we, we continue on that tangent you know now Dan, in one of your tedx talks you've done a number of those I think they're really yeah. good i think our listeners should go have a look at some of those as well you also talk about the emergence of the automation economy now probably did a segue into it there but what, what are you talking about when you talk about the automation economy yeah the automation economy i mean um so i i don't know so much of if it's an economy, and I think I know that the TEDx you're talking about is the one at University of Rhode Island, which I do recall. <laughs> yes. um, so I don't know if I use that phrase particularly, but I think I did talk about the rise of sort of automation in certain job categories. Do you want to kind yes. of explore yes. that writ large? Yeah, because okay. um, to go into it, you're talking about AI driving, let's say, white collar automation. Yeah. So to kind of set it true, I know you know, should white collar workers be be worried, or do they fear that this automation economy will take their jobs as well? Yeah. So the uh, it's a it's a good question. I think that the broad answer. So the TED Talk actually does a reasonably good job of tackling this. Um, it's just Dan Fagella, TEDx, University of Rhode Island, or whatever, but uh, pretty easy to find on Google. Um, we talk about sort of three main facets of what are the, the job security pillars that we, we will likely be able to stand on as people. Yes. And so um, one of those is, is what I refer to as context. Um, and so if we talk about what should white collar folks be worried, sort of depends on their role. 
Um, yeah. I, I think right now, because we're not seeing the bowling ball destroy the pins across finance and retail and heavy industry, we're not there yet. So, so real visceral, will my children eat a meal worry is probably unwarranted, sure. almost ubiquitously in most white collar jobs. However, if we want to look to the future and sort of secure as much certainty as we can about our own uh, value in, in an increasingly automatable age, um, one, one factor here is, is context. So I use a bit of an analogy here. We talk about inputs. So that's whatever lands on my desk or my computer screen. We talk about yeah. my, my, uh, my work on those inputs. So what do I do with this thing in front of me? Is it a spreadsheet that I manipulate in the same way? Is it a form that I check in the same way? Is it a whatever? So is it, is yeah. it repetitive and rote? And the outputs. Do I send it to the same inbox, forward it to the same person? put it in the same file structure, whatever the case may be. Do the ins, the works, and the outs more or less look the same without me having to know anything else in the business? In other words, I don't have to look over into marketing, I don't have to look over into procurement, I'm just in my world of inputs, work, and outputs. Those yeah. are the roles with no context, right? It's just, it's just work. Um, those are the roles at the highest uh, risk of automation uh, across the board, regardless of industry, regardless of, of geo region. And so yeah. folks who really feel like they're in those kind of positions would be uh, in the spookiest spot for sure. Okay. And then are there things, I guess, <clears throat> for people to think about, um, about their careers? I guess we're no longer in the era of go to college, get your degree, diploma, whatever that is, go to the bank in this example and have a career for 40 years, get the gold yeah. watch and retire off and a fantastic pension. I think those days have left us behind. Um, and then we've technology changing so much that, within the way I see it in within people's careers, they're going to have to almost reskill two, three or four times along the way to keep up to keep relevance. And I think yeah. about the rate of change with AI and what we're talking about this um, you know automation economy is going to force us to do that or if we don't do it, we may get left behind. I mean, Nobody could deny that. I think that even before AI, we could talk about, you know, my grandmother had one, you know, career upgrade that she had to do, which was learn to type. Yeah. Um, yeah. She had to learn to use it, uh, a typewriter, a typewriter. Yes. And of course, for my parents, there were a couple more, right? My dad never really got with the internet stuff. He ran a little carpet store and, and <laughs> never got too into it, but but God bless him. I mean, he, he had to learn some new technologies and new ways of doing things. Um, I think that the folks who now own that store are having to probably even have an email list of customers, woo you know, and send them yeah. messages and things like that. And, and at some point, maybe that'll turn into marketing automation. And um, so, yeah, I think that the technology tools, the ways of doing things are uh, evolving faster than ever. Um, there is reason to be nervous that not everybody will be able to or want to endure that kind of quick hustle, yeah. right? And that this will create that stratification of, of uh, sort of society writ large, folks who, who either want to or are adept in um, consistently evolving, driving forward into new problems to be solved and learning new ways of doing things. And folks who, uh, for ability or for preferences, just absolutely do not want to live in that world where it's a new damn tool, it's a new damn workflow every six months. Um, I think that uh, society maybe will figure out a way that that'll be tackled. But um, I think it's 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 worthy of consideration in terms of how that's actually going to happen. 
Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. What we found in our um, recent uh, global digital skills survey was one of the critical findings looked at um, organizations now requiring people to have the ability to learn and reskill quickly and apply those skills as opposed to coming into the organization with degrees, diplomas, and other types of learning. It won't last for the, the length of time that they're in the organization. So the, the expectation is always there. But we also found that not everybody is capable of reskilling. But we do believe that they should be afforded the opportunity one way or another to the organization or to other social channels. I think that that's, that's, that's a big thing. Um, I want to ask you, are there any other, I guess, ethical implications of, say, using AI uh, either for an organization or is there ethical points from um, society in general? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of um, considerations ethically in terms of long ball societal impact there's things like i mean you just brought up can everybody keep up and learn is everybody able to reskill i think it's it's somewhat obvious that not necessarily everybody wants to do that has the aptitude for that it's not their thing um it's very demanding i think for some folks um and i think that how that is tackled whether it be universal basic income whether it be and there's broader governmental sort of factors that i think we could uh say have ethical import in some in some fashion um, within businesses, um, I think that a lot of the time AI is being applied to uh, kind of snipe out things that could be those kinds of risks. So an example here is regulation or compliance. Um, yes, so yeah. in the financial services space, there are things that I can say on the phone when I'm selling you an investment that, by golly, are not okay. Um, <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> so they're, they're just not. Um, and, and there's there's ways that maybe money could be transferred that, by golly, if the regulatory folks knew that that money came from this party and ended up, at the end of the day, going through the shell company into this party, we would be slapped hard um, because, uh, you know, uh, funding terrorism or, or crime in some way yeah. is not right, but also just because there's punishments there. So we actually see AI aiming to kind of fire away, uh, particularly in finance, also in life sciences, at these things that are um, compliance and ethical risk factors. So um, AI might open up some, but it might also uh, help close the door on some of these things like fraud, um, like uh, insider trading sort of compliance risk, for example. So I, I think it'll go both ways. So, yeah, I think there's an element of both ways there. So be careful on both. Dan, critical question. It's our final word. Can AI make the world a better place? What do you Man, think? Um, that's the, the hard I, I question it, to last. <laughs> it's far too much. It's it's the title of one of my TED talks. Which if you're if you're not ready to consider very scary, far off post-human intelligence stuff, you probably should avoid watching that talk altogether. <laughs> if you want to give yourself nightmares, maybe you can. Um, but uh, yeah, I think you know um, in the long term, mm -hmm. uh, like 40 years out, I think we're going to look at really wild shifts to sort of the human condition, and and hopefully yeah. that that is for the good. Um, I think it seems safe to say that in the near term, on the aggregate, AI, kind of like the internet, will be a net boon for wealth broadly. We might need to regulate it differently. We might need to uh, change the technologies we allow our teenagers to use if it's making them yes. depressed, whatever the case yeah. may be, right? But um, on the aggregate, I think hopefully it'll be a net boon uh, to sort of a productivity globally, um, at least in the near term. And so my hope is that, at least from the business perspective, the answer to your question is yes. I think long term, we've got bigger considerations, but relatively near term, I'm, I'm an optimist. Good, good. I'll be optimistic with you there as well, Dan. I think there's always good in these. 
we got to get regulation, but in order to get to that point, we have to have things out there um, and then catch up. We have to see what's happening, what the potential is. Look at the internet. You know, I think regulation is coming in year on year for that. It needs more, but you couldn't have regulated for that years ago because you wouldn't have known the, the, the expanse of it or the scope. You wouldn't know what people would have used it for. So unfortunately, it will always catch up, but it gives that window, I think, of opportunity and for us to be optimistic and to try and fail. And as you said, fail, fail fast or put your money where you want to stack your chips. Don't go all in and try and try again. Daniel Fajalit, thank you very much for joining us on today's CCC Talks. I think that's been really enlightening. And uh, thank you for your insights. Thank you very much. Of course, glad to be here, Mark. Thank you for joining this episode of CCC Talks. We hope you enjoyed this episode and walk away with a ton of actionable insights. If this is your first time joining us, this is us extending a personal invitation to you to join other IT and business professionals. So please subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, or Google Play. If you are struggling in any capacity in your digital transformation journey, contact us. We'd be more than happy to guide you and find you the right certification courses to help you manage the challenges modern businesses are facing. This was CCC Talks. Until next time.